mercy and peace be unto you from God our Father and our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I once heard the story, a true one, of a young mother whose four-year-old son was crying in the bathroom. She went into the bathroom, and there he was, brushing his teeth. Mother looked at him and said, why are you crying? And he said, I have to brush my teeth. And she said, well, you've just learned how to do it correctly. It can't be that hard, can it? And the little boy said, no, but I have to do it the rest of my life. <laughs> That's the way it is with labor and with work. Whether you want it or not, whether you like it or not, you're going to have to do it the rest of your life. Now, those of you who have lived a long life and you're retired, you know just of what I'm speaking, don't you? Because you used to think when you were getting ready to retire, oh boy, when I retire, I'm not going to have to work any longer. Yeah, right. You are going to have to work in some way, shape, or form. You're going to have labor to do the rest of your life. If you think about it, we spend a tremendous amount of time working. Whether it's a career we're cultivating or responsibilities of retirement we're fulfilling or volunteer work we're rendering or a house we're keeping, whether we're 17 or 70, we all have work to do. You know, sadly, some people see work as a necessary evil. They endure a five-day work week just to be able to do some activities on a workless weekend. They think that God inflicted work and labor on the human race as a punishment for sin. They imagine God angrily screaming at Adam and Eve, I'll fix you for what you've done from now on, you're sentenced to the rock pile of human labor where you'll waste your life away on work, work, work. But I want to say that work is not a sentence to be served. It's not a penance to be paid. It's not a punishment to be endured. Human labor is not a curse resulting from the fall of man into sin. Sure, human labor and work is affected by man's fall into sin, but it is a blessing that comes from the hand of God himself to us as his people. This is clearly shown by the fact that Adam and Eve, when they were still in their sinless state, before they had ever fallen into sin, received something from God. Here's what God said to them in Genesis 2, 15. Take out your message notes from your worship folder and look at Genesis 2, 15. Here's what that scripture says. While Adam and Eve were still sinless, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. Yes, human labor is not a curse resulting from man's fall into sin. It is a blessing 
from the hands of a loving God. So we should not be surprised by the fact that when our sinless Savior, Jesus Christ, came to this earth, he also held down a job for a large portion of his earthly life. You see this in the biblical account of the life of Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible tells us very little about the life of Jesus from age 12 until age 30 when he begins his public ministry. But there are two things that the Bible tells us about that time period. And you can write these on your notes. Here's the first one. Jesus, during those years, held a job. He held a job. He had work to do. Look again at your notes at Mark 6, verses 1 to 3, and you'll see the kind of job Jesus worked at. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the what? Carpenter. Jesus was a carpenter. He spent many years working in the carpenter shop, so much so that early on in his public ministry, he was known as and called the carpenter. And we ought never to forget that. I remember I used to have a neighbor next door to the house that Don and I lived in, in Palm Springs. His name was Stan. Stan was a Jewish man, not a believer in Jesus Christ as a Savior. So I started praying for him. We started loving on him, caring for him. And it's interesting. You do that, you start showing some care. God will open doors. And uh, so I was getting close now to the time to start sharing with Stan. And this is the way I started it. I said, Stan, you know, I work for a Jewish carpenter. He's my, and he looked at me, and I said, that's right. He said, this, I said, the Savior that I follow is Jewish. He's a Jewish carpenter. And boy, that opened up a door to share about the love of Christ. He was a carpenter. The second thing the Bible shows us about these years in the life of Christ is this. While Jesus worked, he grew. While Jesus worked, he grew. Intellectually, physically, spiritually, socially. His work was not a curse for him. It was a blessing for him. Look at your notes at Luke 2, verses 51 and 52. Then he went down to Nazareth and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom, that's intellectual, in stature, that's physical, in favor with God, that's spiritual, and with man, that's social or relational. Can you see what happened with Jesus in the ordinary place of the carpenter shop? Jesus experienced God the Father's extraordinary intervention so that in his humanity, he grew intellectually, he grew physically, he grew spiritually, and he grew socially in favor with God and with man. And listen, as followers of Jesus Christ, this is just what God would have us experience whenever we work, whenever we labor, whether we're 70 or 70, because it is not a curse, 
but it's meant to be a blessing for us. So as we continue in week number two of our Places in the Heart message series, in which we're looking at places that Jesus went to and how they correspond to places in the heart that God wants to take us to. Having looked at the manger and that place in the heart called second birth or spiritual birth, today we're going to go to the carpenter shop and we're going to look at this place in the heart that God wants to take you to. You can write it on your notes, fill in the blanks, it is the place of experiencing God's extraordinary intervention in the ordinary work of life. Experiencing God's extraordinary intervention in the ordinary work of life. Specifically, I want to share with you three gifts you need from God in order to experience this kind of extraordinary intervention on his part in your ordinary responsibilities, labor, and work of life. You see all three of these things in the first part of a prayer that Jesus prayed to his heavenly Father. So I'm going to ask you now, as I do every Sunday, to open up your Bible, and today we're going to open up our Bibles to that prayer Jesus prayed to his heavenly Father in John 17. John 17. And I'm going to read and ask you to follow along in your Bible the first five verses of this prayer that Jesus prayed to his father. John 17, starting with verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. First of all, if you are going to experience God the Father's extraordinary intervention in the ordinary work of your life. You need the, write this down, you need the right work. You need the right work. Now please understand what I mean by right work. I do not mean the perfect job because there is no such thing as the perfect job. Some people hoping that there is, end up moving from job to job to job to job in a re relentless and a restless pursuit of this imaginary thing called the perfect job. There is no such thing as the perfect job, but there is such a thing as the right job. And by that I mean the job that God himself has given you to do. Jesus knew this, so this was the prayer he prayed to his father in John 17, verse 4. Look again at verse 4. He said, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. The right work, the work God has designed you for and given you to do, is what God wants you to be doing with your life. And listen, the right work, 
the right job, the work God has given you to do, not somebody else, but God has given you to do, that work will, listen carefully, always match the way God made you, the way he designed you. It will match your abilities, your talents, your interests, your passion, your skills. You see, almost all satisfied workers have something in common. They labor in a field that is consistent with their God-given abilities, talents, interests, passions, personalities. You see, God intends our work to be a natural expression of the way he designed us. For instance, you can't take a highly relational, highly competitive, high-energy child and expect that child one day to become the assistant research librarian in the county library. The pay may be great, the benefits may be super, but they're not going to last two weeks. It'll kill them. You cannot take a more introverted, reserved person and put them in front of a Broadway production line or try to make them the guest host of Saturday Night Live. I mean, somehow or another, they may be able, with tremendous effort, to pull it off, but they'll hate every moment of it. That's why the Bible makes very clear that we have a responsibility to prayerfully discern before God the work that he has given us to do and to pursue that kind of work. And if you say, hey, well, you know, I'm not sure what my gifts, my abilities, my passion, my interests, my personality really is and what kind of work would even match that, I want to assure you that there are spirit-given, God-blessed resources out there to help you discover that today. And if you want to know about those resources, you just send me an email this week and I'll connect you with those resources. If you're going to experience God's extraordinary intervention in the ordinary work of life, it's going to take the right work. And secondly, it's going to take you doing the right work for the right reason, for the right reason. Jesus knew this, so in his prayer, he was able to say to the Heavenly Father, did you notice that in verse 4? Look at verse 4 again. He said, I have brought you glory, underline those words, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Jesus had a reason for doing the work he did. It was to honor the Father in heaven by living the perfect life so that he could be our righteousness, dying the perfect death on the cross so that he could be our redeemer from sin, and then conquering death through his resurrection so that he could be our living Savior. He did the right work for the right reason, to honor and glorify God and to bless other people. And this should be your reason for any labor, any work that you do to honor and glorify God and to bless other people. It's not primarily to impress the boss 
or to get compliments from other people or just to make money or somehow to get a little enjoyment in life. It's to please God, honor him, glorify him in everything that you are doing. Then, when that's your reason for doing the work that you're doing, then your job site becomes a temple. <laughs> and your work becomes worship. And every project you ever do becomes an offering to God. Let me share with you three ways you can honor and glorify God through the work that you do. You can write these on your notes. First of all, you honor and glorify God by how you work, by how you work. There's a great story of a group of highway repairmen who went out into the country to repair an asphalt road. So when they got out to the spot there out in the middle of the country where this road was that they were going to repair, they realized that they forgot to bring their shovels. So they got on the radio and they radioed back to the county engineer and explained their plight to them. The county engineer said, I'll send some shovels out right away. And then the county engineer added, and until they arrive, just lean on each other. Because this is what we see sometimes, don't we? Sometimes you'll drive by and they're doing road repair work and there's one guy working and there's seven guys doing what? Leaning on their shovel. You don't feel like pulling over the car and saying, get to work, show some initiative here. Start honoring and glorifying God. That's what God wants you to do, that whatever work he's given you to do, you do it the very best you can to honor and glorify God and not just kind of lean on your shovel, so to speak. Secondly, you honor and glorify God not only by uh, what you do, you honor and glorify him by who you are, by who you are. Listen to me. Character counts in the carpenter shop. It really does. I was struck by this when I read these words of Jesus in Matthew 7, 15. We would be wise to remember this when we select employees. We would be wise to remember this when we elect governmental officials. We would be wise to remember this when we select leaders. Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. I mean, can you honestly picture Jesus Christ saying, hey, <laughs> we bid this job with two by sixes, but let's use two by fours instead. Can you actually picture Jesus Christ gossiping and backstabbing other individuals on the job site? Can you imagine him reporting that it took him six hours to complete a project that he knew he did in four hours? You absolutely cannot picture him doing that. Jesus prioritized character so he was able to say, Father, I brought you glory on earth. How are you doing on this score? You honor and glorify God in the carpentership of your life, not only by how you work, but by who you are when you're working. And when it comes to your work, you honor and glorify God, not only by how you work and who you are, 
but by what you say, by what you say. Many of us, while we work, you know, we rub shoulders with men and women who desperately need to hear of the saving love of Jesus Christ, who need to know that they matter to God. The Apostle Paul once wrote this in Romans 10, verse 14. You see it on your notes. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? You know, Jesus never commanded us to engage in theological debates with strangers. He never told us to wear big cross necklaces. He never told us to toss out Christian cliches to other people. Instead, he asks us to live and work in such a way that when the Holy Spirit orchestrates an opportunity to speak about Jesus Christ on the job site, we take advantage of those opportunities and in so doing bring glory and praise to God. You experience God's extraordinary intervention in the ordinary work of your life. It takes the right work and it takes doing that right work for the right reason. And all of this so that you might receive the right reward. And what is that reward? Well, Jesus knew what it is, for he said in verse 15 in your Bible, look at what he said in verse, or verse 5 in John 17. He said in verse 5, Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. You know, the reward that Jesus Christ received was that he was glorified in the presence of God the Father. After his humiliation, he was exalted. He became fully again in heaven what he was before he came to this earth by humbling himself. And if you have the right work and you do it for the right reason, you'll receive the right reward of becoming all that God intended you to be here in this life and then in his presence forever in heaven as you glorify him and amazingly work for him in heaven above. Because heaven is not a place of us just floating around on, harp, on clouds and plucking harps. Sorry, it's not going to be that way. It's going to be you serving God, laboring and working for him with the right work and the right reason for the right reward. Colossians Chapter 3 says it so well. You see it on your notes. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits at the right hand in the place of honor and power. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Do not think only about things down here on earth for you died and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your real life, appears, you will share in all his glory. Then you will know that you have spent well the hours you spent in the carpenter shop of your work, for you will have seen God intervene in extraordinary ways in the ordinary work of your life. I want to close by reading to you a very brief story. Here's how it goes. A country doctor 
received an emergency call in the middle of a cold, snowy winter's night. He hurried to the house of the family that called and found the mother who desperately needed an emergency appendectomy. The hospital was miles away. Trying to get there in the snowstorm was impossible. The lighting in the small country house was poor, so the doctor tried to think of a nearby place where he could do the surgery. He remembered that there was a church not far down the road. He called the pastor, explained the situation, and the pastor told him to bring the woman at once. When the doctor arrived at the church, he and the pastor began looking for the best place for the doctor to do his work. Suddenly, they looked at each other and knew. The altar. It was the perfect height, and there was room around it to set up some bright lamps. So the doctor performed the emergency operation on the altar of the church. When it was over, as he was putting away his instruments, he happened to glance up. There, high above the altar, were these words, Glory to God in the highest. At that moment, the doctor was overwhelmed with a sense of wonder and awe that through his work, he could experience and share in the glory of God. You are going to be working the rest of your life and then into eternity. <laughs> so follow Jesus and let him be glorified in what you do. It's that place of the heart called the carpenter shop. Let's stand for closing prayer.